Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. All right, my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Russ and Keeley Hayworth at Hayworth Estate Wines. Uh, it's July 29th, 2019. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you. I really Thank appreciate you. this. Uh, so let's start by asking, why wine? I think it begins with passion. Uh, I love for wine. Uh, the yearning to learn more about it. Wine is constantly evolving, and I think it's 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 a changing, uh, a changing business that new things are happening and new territories are being explored. And obviously, we're a little bit proof of that, a little bit unconventional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, look at all the wineries around us here in the South Willamette Valley, and they're all in the hillsides and tucked away, and you know, beautiful vineyards doing very very well, and they're all successful. And we thought, well, what if we what if we were to break that mold a little bit and, and put something on the valley floor? Mm-hmm. Thought if all those grapes can grow well in poor soil or lesser than perfect soil, what would they do if we planted them in some you know really nice uh, cultivated land, so to speak? So here we are on the valley floor. Sure. For me, I basically grew up in California mm-hmm. and seeing my friends grow grapes in Temecula mm-hmm. and start a winery. It just were beautiful and I knew I could never uh, do my thing down there in California. Mm-hmm. too expensive and my family were in Oregon and I knew eventually I'd end up in Oregon and it happened, so here <laughs> I am, yeah. I did do all my uh, viticulture enology classes in um, Alan Hancock in the Central Coast. Mm-hmm. I uh, got my degree, and then as soon as I got my degree, I came up to Oregon. So you knew you wanted to do wine fairly early on. That yeah. wine was something. Mm-hmm. Was, there, was there a reason, something that sparked in you? Was it, was it the beauty? Was it the nature? Was there something about it? It was just the process, mm-hmm. the whole process of it. So when you decide, so let's back up a little bit. How did you meet and, and end up here in, in North Coburg? Well, as a result of uh, growing some vineyards and and making some wine, uh, I'd made a decision to uh, have this wine processed and bottled at a local winery in Eugene and where I was taking it, uh, Keeley was working there mm-hmm. at the time. And that's how we met. And then through discussing vineyards and, and I needed some help uh, with vineyard management and she was willing to offer to, to come in and somewhat rescue some of the neglect my vineyard was experiencing. I rescued it, all right. <laughs> I, was, I had to travel for other business and, and, hey, while I'm gone, can you maybe take a look and see what you can do to this vineyard and do whatever it needs. And when I get back from the trip, or when I got back from my trip, the vineyard was immaculate. And so. And then he said, oh, we're planting another 10 acres. Do you want to help me do that? And I went, okay. So we did. We did all that Pinot Noir out there in the Chardonnay. So yeah. I hired her, then I married her. <laughs> <laughs> you can't let a good vineyard manager get away, so I guess. That's right. Couldn't fire her, so <laughs> hire her and marry her. 
<laughs> yeah. And that's that's really how we began. And, mm -hmm. and I don't I don't know that I would have uh, expanded, and, and I probably wouldn't have taken it to the um, wine level and marketing level that it is today without if I hadn't met Keely mm -hmm. and had her start by getting our vineyard in shape and she just did a remarkable job and here we are. So tell me a bit about your background before wine. You mentioned uh, the other part of the Hayworth business. Tell me a little bit about that and then what kind of prompted you to, to put the first vines in the ground? Well I grew up farming here in the Willamette Valley. My dad uh, was a grass seed grower for forever and ever and I grew up as a, as a, as a kid learning how to drive equipment and work with the ground and seeing the results you know from from hard work learning learning the ethics of that and and getting seeing the rewards that mother nature would give you you know when you were a good steward of land being grass seed crops at the time and then uh, my curiosity I guess of the end users of grass seed and the products we were growing drew me into researching how grass seed was being used on the other end of the spectrum. So I went from production to uh, my curiosity of, of the end users uh, led me to uh, marketing and sales of grass seed to golf courses and sports turf managers <laughs> and sod farms throughout the country. And long story short, I, I switched hats from production to consulting and working with the end users mm -hmm. while still promoting the grass seed industry and supporting our farming operations. And uh, from that, uh, the wine thing just kind of came about from uh, living away for a few years and then moving back and realizing, hey, there's this incredible business in, in the industry out here and it's vineyards. And uh, being able to have the time to go out and explore some of the local wineries, mm -hmm. and vineyards, and sample new wines, it was just like, hey, they're onto something here. Mm -hmm. So my love of agriculture and and landscaping and working with the land uh, prompted me to do some research and figure out what kind of vines do I want. I want to plant a little hobby vineyard. Let's see what we can do with that. And it was really just, I kind of wanted to look. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to just- No, he didn't want to mow the grass. Yeah. <laughs> I need less grass to mow. So put it in a vineyard. It's like, that's going to be less work. <laughs> so I'd rather have been mowing the grass, but um, dang, a little vines grew and I managed not to, to kill them. And, uh, let them grow up and they I was feeding the birds for a few years before I realized I should probably try to salvage a crop and make wine out of it and so I planted in 2006 as a hobby not realizing I would probably make wine for sure and then in uh, 2012 uh, we harvested and that became our first vintage mm -hmm. so it's uh, taken off from there and we didn't uh, mess that up too badly so it's taken to the next step. Yep. Tell me about what the vineyard looked like when you uh, first saw it. A uh, little bit neglected, to say the least. But uh, yeah, we, we got in shape and uh, it looked beautiful and we got a good crop and yeah, mm -hmm. it, were, it were good. Had you worked in a similar valley floor type environment before? Was, this, was, there, was there were there challenges? No, I'd worked on steep hills mm -hmm. most of the time, so this was different um, and easier, a lot easier. Yeah. Were there sort of unforeseen obstacles for you? As uh, I, I assume 
you're getting a lot more you ha you have you have a lot more healthy vines here that are producing a lot of fruit so was there kind of a, a learning curve in terms of how much fruit it could handle uh it does uh yeah i'd say so wouldn't you yeah, a lot we, we uh the vines love this ground out here and, and they too love, much i they think can love it yeah they can love it too much <laughs> and be a little over uh ambitious with the production so we've learned to you know, what to do with that uh, yeah we have to drop quite a lot of fruit. To, yeah we drop some fruit mm -hmm. and uh, balance the crop load with with what's good with the you know for the grape and good for the vines mm -hmm. how did you decide what you wanted to plant here as you were at first to start with and then kind of as you were expanding how did you decide what grapes to put in well to start with it was those it was those visits and and tastings that I did at some of the local wineries and obviously Pinot Noir was on the map and, and well uh, established. Uh, how can you not like that? I mean, everywhere I went, I loved Pinot Noir. Everybody had good ones. Uh, but I found a few uh, other varieties that I really kind of gravitated towards, Gamay Noir being one of them. There was a local winery that, that produced a Gamay Noir that, that I thought, this is different and this is really good. You know, why, don't, you know, why don't I try to do that? I'm going to do this. I want to have what I want. Mm -hmm. So I was able to source some Gamay Noir vines and planted a small block. And it, that small block is, since 2012, has been our sole source for Gamay. And that's one of our most popular wines. That's what we're really known for. It's one of our signature wines. And then Pinot Gris. I had to have a white wine in there somewhere. So we planted some Pinot Gris because that was really good. And a lot of good Pinot Gris are produced here. So, you know. We got in line there and planted that. <laughs> very small block. We produce about 25 cases of it, but uh, it's uh, been usually successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell me about the kind of the the experience, the first experience of, of harvesting for production, and then and and sort of what the, the, the growth curve since then. So starting in 2012, when you decided we're going to try to make some wine out of this, and then kind of what's what's come next. Well, I'll go back to 2012 um, when I decided these grapes need a better home than, than the birds. I, I actually blended my Gamay with my Pinot Noir just to have enough to fill up two barrels. And that's what was, that was my 2012 vintage was 120 gallons of, uh, of a blend mm -hmm. uh, that we, we turned into a, a really nice blend. And it's, uh, we still have some of that today and we're, we're getting a little bit low, so we're sort of setting aside some of those bottles, and they're holding up very nicely. <laughs> and then, um, as that kind of peaked, or as that kind of got our excitement, or kind of like, hey, you know, we, we can maybe do this. <laughs> um, 2013, we, we blended the two again, and then in uh, 2014, decided the Gamay needs to stand on its own and get launched as a, as a brand, and we <laughs> developed a label our wines so we started labeling the blends that we had made previously and then labeled our Pinot Noir and our Gamay Noir separately mm -hmm. as did our, our Pinot Gris so that and about that same time you know Keely was we had met and she was involved in the vineyard and the winery and the processing and the labeling and everything to do with the business and we decided hey let's take this to the next step and then that led to expansion of the vineyard in 2015. 
What sticks out in your mind about that time? What are your What are your What do you Do you remember the successes? Do you remember the challenges? Uh, what What about the, the, those years kind of sticks out to you? Planting the new vineyard it was hot. It was a hot year. That was a challenge. Yeah. Planting uh, baby grapevines in a hundred degree heat <laughs> in bone dry soil. Uh, timing yeah. is critical to get water to those plants. So not only were we drilling the holes to put the vines in, but we had to be literally within 30 seconds of putting that vine in the ground or sooner, it had to have water. Because whatever moisture was in the, in the, uh, around the roots quickly got mm -hmm. zapped from the dry soil that we backfilled with. So we, we had to be right behind the planting with watering and getting all those vines in the ground and you know, 100 degree heat <laughs> it's not, was not easy and we had uh, thousands and thousands of them to do. Mm -hmm. So we planted out about seven acres as quick as we could with a, with a makeshift crew a little bit and hoping the heck we knew what we were doing. <laughs> and we did, because it looks amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did something right. <laughs> yeah, so I, fantastic. They got off to a good start. Yeah, and we got first crop off that, which were amazing, uh, two years, a year later? Actually, we got a little bit of volunteer crop in one year. We planted yeah, bigger one year, vines. And everyone was amazed. Yeah, we planted bigger vines. Yeah. So they, so we could mm. kind of buy some time. And uh, that did, it, spe it speeded things up. So we actually got a uh, somewhat of a volunteer crop of Pinot Noir off yeah. that seven And we wanted to see what year. we could do with it. And we made a very light uh, rosé, mm -hmm. 20 cases we got off it. Yeah, I think something yeah. like that. And we sold out. Very good rosé. It sold out <laughs> completely. We're amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, it's amazing. I yeah. mean, but we babysat the vines. I mean, we were passionate of having that. We wanted to have everything get off to a perfect start and, and not just the start, but continue. And so a year later, we got that crop. And then in, in year two, it, uh, it yielded to full potential. <laughs> so we, we really sped up the time clock. So Keith, I want to back up a second with you since mm -hmm. we didn't really didn't really establish how you got to Oregon. So you mentioned school and the and the, mm -hmm. and, then, and then coming up here immediately. So what happened after you got to Oregon? Uh, well, my the reason I, I came to Oregon was my family took a vacation trip um, twenty some years ago. Loved it. Came back to California and said we're moving up to Oregon. I'm like, where's that? You know, came up, loved it, and as my children were in uh, California, I couldn't really come up until they graduated, and when they did, I, I came up, and that's how I got here. Um, I got lucky that when I did eventually move up, I, I, I was here for two weeks and I got a job uh, doing the vineyards at uh, a local winery, and then slipped into the harvest production, and then met Russ, and... Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds pretty smooth. All, all yeah, things it was actually. It's been pretty good. I don't like growing a vineyard. <laughs> <laughs> Planet. I was very lucky and blessed. I can say that. Yeah, it was meant to be. Mm -hmm. It was meant to be. It was perfect timing. And as you've grown the business here, tell me how your kind of roles have evolved and how you've sort of how you how the work gets done between the two of you. It switched a lot for me because now I'm just trying to get this building 
mm -hmm. and doing events. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, and I try and go in our little small vineyard because um, I call that my little baby and try and keep that one to myself. Mm -hmm. And then we get, you know, other people to kind of take care of the big vineyards. I think uh, that a lot of what we do, we found out first we needed two gators instead of one. Because <laughs> I'm out running irrigation or doing something, you know, running the crew or checking on vineyards, and she had her work to do. And so the first thing we did was we got another gator because <laughs> we, we, were, we were fighting over the one. And uh, because there is a lot to keep track of after we did the expansion in 2015, you know, we're, we're out there with some extra acres and spread out. Uh, and, you know, we got a lot of those little baby vines that we're babysitting and, mm -hmm. and they all have to be watched. So the two of us combined to do that. And it's just, um, you know, finding out, just running things, uh, keeping track of inventory. And, and now that we have wine inventory to uh, deal with, it's, it's knowing what to do with that. Mm -hmm. Knowing and planning ahead of what we're going to be bringing in. Um, you just, it, it never stops, you know, those, those, little, those little vines are going to be picked. It's, it's like a dairy, the cows have to do milk. It's not going to stop. Mm -hmm. It's not going to wait for you. It's got to be done. So planning ahead is, um, I think, kind of one of those challenges that so far we've done pretty well at, mm -hmm. but you can't forget about it. You can't let it go. It's, it's got to be in the front of your mind. Uh, that we have a crop coming and, and how much rosé are we going to make? How much pinot are we going to make? What are we going to blend? Uh, you know, all the different wines that, that we can make from Pinot Noir. You know, we're so blessed to have that as a, such a univer universal grape mm -hmm. variety that uh, we can go a lot of different directions with it. And with the acreage we have, we only have so much and how much are we going to allocate to which wine? And like with the Gamay, we, we know it's going to be by itself, so it's, it is what it is. And, uh, we did plant some more, but it's uh, close to be producing. Mm -hmm. it's, it's only two years old, so we're probably a year away from really getting anything off that to mm -hmm. have more Gamay. And then the Pinot Gris, we did a little expansion on that, so we'll probably bump that a little bit this year. So those are our the Gamay, and, the, and, the, and then we have Chardonnay also. And so we've we have some really nice uh, Chardonnays that we're making. So it's planning. Mm -hmm. And we planted a little apple orchard. Oh, really? There. Yeah. Eventually we'll try and make some cider. Nice. Cider orchard. Yeah. Which I need to be out watering right now. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as we're done. <laughs> tell me about the process of learning to make wine. Uh, with You didn't have a background in winemaking, so tell me about the process of that and uh, and some of the maybe unforeseen challenges of that. I'll let Keely start with that. She's she's more involved with that than, than me and definitely has the background on it all. Well, I'm not really a winemaker, but I did take the, the classes. Mm -hmm. um, and I did learn a lot where we do make our wine with our winemaker. And, uh, but like I say, my role's changed mm -hmm. now. So we are very hands-on with the winemaker of what we're looking for, what, what taste, what, what, you know, blends we want to do, and if we need to source any grapes in. And then uh, you're down there too. Because I'm more of the white person, the white wines, he's more the reds. So that's where we, you know, get our little flavor notes. I will never wear the tag of winemaker, but I will 
claim the wine taster. <laughs> <laughs> I will ter- carry that badge with me everywhere. It's uh, like Keely said, we're really hands-on and involved in the process mm-hmm. from start to finish on our wines and what style we want to to have, mm-hmm. you know, represent our wine mm-hmm. and uh, different blending formulations and uh, you know where the winemaking comes into the chemistry part of it. That's kind of where I say, see, yeah, I'm not going to be that chemist. And, and I'm, at my age and time in life, I'm not going to learn a whole lot more <laughs> from here out with it. But uh, thank goodness we have good people that, that, that that's what they do well. Um, so if they can put up with us trying to get and search and, and develop that taste profile that we want, mm-hmm. uh, we've got some really good... Uh, Lots of team patients. members, so to speak, that help us get where we want to be with our wines. And having done it for, you know, six years now, about, or seven years, we have stayed with that same group. So they really know uh, what to expect from us. And uh, it's a lot easier than it was in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of gotten to be, this is what the Hayworths, how they want their wine. And so, you know, half the work's already done. <laughs> But like they say, the good wine begins in the vineyard, sure. and, and that's that's true. You know, you're you're only as good as what what your vineyard will put out. So you mentioned your your taste profile, your style. How would you describe it? What do you tell your your team that you're looking for? What do you want a Hayworth wine to be? We uh, well, myself, I want to do unique flavored wines, something mm-hmm. different. Uh, so we've always got that challenge of trying to do some uh, different blends. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like more of the bold, the bold reds, mm-hmm. and uh, Russ likes the lighter. So I'm always saying we've got to we've got to bring some bolder, deeper reds in, and uh, we have. Mm-hmm. We've got a nice cab. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, yeah, I, she's right. I I'm more that middle of the road, medium bodied wine, mm-hmm. nice balance, good mouth feel, um, good flavor profiles. I, I have in my mind what I think the ideal Pinot Noir should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may not be the same as what somebody else may want, but, but I've learned to appreciate and develop more of a fondness and taste for the bigger reds like Keeley speaks of. Mm-hmm. Um, Cabernet Sauvignon and the Cabernet Franc, and mm-hmm. some of the different ones out there that we uh, that we outsource because we don't grow those warm se- warmer season varieties here. Yet we found some good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we found some good sources for those, and those are really fun to work with. Mm-hmm. It's fun to taste them as an individual grape variety and what the true variety is representing, and then put your blending cap on and figure out well, let's blend you know, 80% of this with 20 of that, or 80, 10, 10, different mm-hmm. things we've mm-hmm. played around with. And we we come out, We every every vintage we have a red blend. So in odd number of years, odd number of vintage years, we have a blend called the Saddle. And that's a that's a kind of a, the, the main body of it is probably Pinot Noir from here. And then we pick and choose some of these other things to mm-hmm. put with it. And then in even numbered years, we have a blend called the Haymaker. And that's uh, essentially developed with the same thought process. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's take Pinot Noir as a base. Let's play around with what we can add to that and, and have a big enough wine that it's going to hold up and, and satisfy the taste profiles that are 
that our clients want that want that little bit bigger red. Mm -hmm. You know, and then we we did outsource a cab sob and a cab franc that mm -hmm. we that we have now that we're in our in our lineup uh, that's taken it to the high, higher level of red boldness. <laughs> and that's his nickname, Haymaker. Haymaker. That's where that came from. Okay. Something to do with Hayworth is my last name and Works. being in the grassy business. <laughs> yeah. It's a good literal nickname. I and like the saddle it. <laughs> comes from that little, right there, the saddle. Yeah, the feature in the range there in the Cobra Hills. Mm -hmm. so. so you mentioned uh, Clients, tell me about tell me about the local wine industry a little bit. Tell me about how you've found people and people have found you and and sort of the maturation of the area in terms of uh, there's not a lot of wineries in your neighborhood. So tell me about that. We we have uh, wonderful neighbors, mm -hmm. and our community is just supporting us a hundred percent, and um, they're all wine club members. And we get calls constantly, when are you opening and when can we come over and what new wines have you, you know, you've produced. Um, I've only been in Coburg nearly five years now and it's definitely a wonderful community. Yeah. Growing up in this area, you never heard about wine. <laughs> uh, you know, this was, a, this was a beer audience right here. <laughs> Uh, wine wasn't even heard of, and then when the wine industry took off and, and developed, uh, what you know before we got into it in, in those years, uh, a lot of the people from our area, right in this in this valley floor, they weren't they weren't venturing out to taste those wines. It was more people from the populated areas like Eugene going out to the wineries, and those were the people that were discovering the South Willamette, you know, wines. Mm -hmm. uh, I think since we really have developed our wine lineup and gotten it out there by doing small promotions or giving it away and then finally getting with a wine club <laughs> membership that we've developed. I really believe we have introduced a whole new group to wine that weren't into it before and for whatever reason they decided to take that step and try us. You know, peer pressure, <laughs> word of mouth, networking, whatever. We have really opened up a new market for wine lovers that, and you can tell that they're new at it. Mm -hmm. well, there's a lot of education uh, process going into explaining, and, and we think, well, man, well, why, how come they don't know this? But they're where we were 15 years ago, mm -hmm. you know, when I didn't know anything about them. Yeah, a lot of farmers. So there's a lot of discovery going mm -hmm. on. So our wine club membership is uh, is based on neighbors. We have great neighbors. We have great neighbors that are farmers that are amazed that. You know, they can drink a fine glass of wine and and look across the fence, and there's the vineyard that it came from. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. So we've really, op I, I think that's what I'm really proud of is that we've opened up uh, people's uh, experience with wine and mm -hmm. and have enough of wine, different wines to offer that they're starting to figure out and choose what they like. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's been really gratifying to know that we've done this and. And a lot of these people are people that have known me my whole life. They watched me grow up and on, you know, driving by on a tractor and, and harvesting the fields of grass seed. And now yeah. I'm doing this, and they just kind of shake their heads. So we never thought we'd see you doing this. <laughs> Get in line, because <laughs> I didn't either. <laughs> so. I was going to say, you must have gotten some funny looks when you started planting vines here. <laughs> 
We did. When I planted the first block in 2006, people thought I was nuts, you know, and I'm, and I probably was for a little bit, but you know, as a, as a farmer and knowing how to, you know, take care of plants and take care of the land, um, I did grow them quite well. I didn't have them trained properly, probably like kids, you know. <laughs> then my my kids stayed there and hung in with me, and like I said, we we finally got them in shape, and uh, I think people really took notice as they would drive by. But it was quite a few years before anything ended up in a bottle. But I think that's when people really the light came on and people realized, hey, you know, we're doing it. Mm -hmm. You both have talked about events here. Tell me a little bit about sort of the development of, the, of this as an event space and what you offer and, and sort of the return you're seeing from that. Uh, like I say, we try and bring the community together. Um, and we they love coming out. And we try and do something different every time. Uh, we have a little uh, event lawn that we had our last wine club member event on. Mm -hmm. And uh, we got the tents and um, music, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And then we've got these tents now, and we have, it's just wine club member events. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, food, you know, like every other winery. But being on this side of town, we uh, try and create some other um, events that most people around here don't get to do. Mm -hmm and it's close, mm -hmm. which is good. And it's five minutes from Eugene and the freeway, so it's convenient. We try to promote or market ourselves as being, doing different things. We, we don't want to copy anybody. We're not trying to be like anybody else, um, you know, for, for a lot of different reasons. And we're finding out through the people we meet and network with is like, Sometimes less is more, you know, I mean, we're not up in the mountains, we're flat, mm -hmm. and, you know, we might have tractors driving by that are harvesting that field <laughs> right behind you. Uh, we may have, have dogs running through here and unannounced and unplanned, and, uh, you know, we we're in the, this time of year right now, we're in the middle of the, you know, the winds picking up the straw from the fields and blowing it everywhere, so, you know, it's, it's a constant cleanup process uh, with straw and dust and this is a working farm mm -hmm. we're surrounded by it mm -hmm. but that's I mean that's also the same reasons why we're here why we're doing what we're doing is you know and I think that's why a lot of people come by because they know that mm -hmm. they don't mind the dust they don't mind the straw yeah you know because it's something it is something different mm -hmm. that they won't get any of the winery and we always have plans of, of adding this and adding that and mm -hmm. You know, trying to catch up with landscaping and, and try to give you know a, a presence of of someplace pretty, but we're only going to take that so far <laughs> <laughs> because it is a farm. And we do have weeds around, and you know, and the wind blows and things like that. But but those are all the things that that add to what we're what we're about. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why the, the grapes are growing good because everything grows good. Mm -hmm. out here, you know, and so we are in a constant. Uh, it seems like constant motion of trimming or cutting or, or knocking something back to keep things in shape. <laughs> you know. But that's what gives us good grapes and gives us, uh, and, and gives us good wine. <laughs>
tell me about Hayworth Field and the uh, the motivation behind having a football a football field out here. Well, that crazy me back in the day of, uh, of getting into the other end of the spectrum on the grass seed business, working with uh, golf courses and, and uh, stadiums that have natural turf. Um, I learned a lot in, in, in a lot of years of doing that, working with superintendents and, and sports turf managers <laughs> around the country. And was uh, fortunate to to learn from a lot of uh, good people in the in the grass breeding industry and turf grass uh, development here in Oregon. Um, and then taking that and learning what my customers on the other end in, in the golf and sports turf needed, what kind of products they were really seeking to get, and what the, what they needed to perform like. And, you know, then I would take that information back to our plant breeders that we're developing turf grasses here in Oregon and, and basically being the, the liaison between those two uh, parts of the industry. And then obviously once you get that, you have to have it produced for seed. So my network, uh, including Hayworth Farms and, and other neighbors around that were grass seed farmers, uh, that became the production network. Mm-hmm. So with the Hayworth field, uh, when I moved uh, into this place um, in 2005, um, I wanted to kind of push back the production field and the hay pasture that was immediately in my backyard. I wanted that buffer, so I thought, oh, nothing better than a football field, <laughs> right? <laughs> my backyard alone wasn't big enough, so I had to add a football field to the to the mowing list. So what I did was I planted different varieties and blends every 10 yards of this regulation-sized football field represented another team that I was working with that was using that blend. So I was evaluating in one section might be the LA Coliseum, the next session section might be Oklahoma or Arizona State mm-hmm. or all the different ones at the time. And that was in, I believe that was in 2009, mm-hmm. when I, 2008, 2009, when I put those in and basically evaluated them. Of course, I kind of knew what they were going to look like anyway, but I thought, you know, there are little differences. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took that information and then channeled that to new clients, new customers. Mm-hmm. So it was a research center, but now it's um, it's kind of all one big mess that gets mowed. <laughs> I, I, the research part of it has kind of gone by the wayside. I just plant it to one about every, I replant it about every two years, mm-hmm. and I'll get the latest and greatest varieties of perennial ryegrass at the time. And so it's just developed into that, and it's been a a great conversation piece. <laughs> um, does it get used as a football field? No, it does not. It gets uh, painted as a football field <laughs> about twice a year. Uh, it's great for photo ops. Um, we've had a car show on it. We've had uh, weddings on it. We've had uh, large corporate um, dining events, mm-hmm. you know, white mm-hmm. tablecloths. Uh, we rolled an old truck out there, flatbed. REO Speedwagon truck, used it as a stage. Um, we've done quite a bit of yeah. quite a bit of stuff out there. Mm-hmm. And then you know the best part is probably seeing little kids kicking around a soccer ball or throwing a football. Mm-hmm. To me that's 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 my reward. That's awesome. That's, just, that's really I hate cool. about soccer goals. So I do have regulation soccer goals. They're just not out there right now. So tell me about, uh, we, we've talked kind of about the local wine community, kind of how you've sort of introduced to kind of a, people who don't have another winery nearby. 
Tell me about the sort of South Willamette Valley in general and, and sort of what it's been like since you've become part of it and how you've seen it change and grow. I, th I think for me, uh, it's opened up a whole new line of friends <laughs> and friendships and people that we really enjoy uh, talking and visiting with and there's not a there's not any tones of competition or anything you know and we're all in the same business we're all trying to make and sell wine but I never get any sense of, of you know a competitive uh, mm. uh, you know it doesn't go down that road mm. and uh, I don't think anybody else really feels it either we're all in it together we all love what it, each other does we all get together on you know somewhat regular basis and, and everybody brings some wine and we all taste each other's wines mm -hmm. and, and can't decide which one we like best and, you know of course we're all biased on our own but other people like our wines too and mm -hmm. we've uh, been real happy with uh, meeting these people and learning a lot you know mm -hmm. some of us that are that have our vineyards um, you know there's different vineyard styles of, of management and and we all kind of bounce those ideas off each other whether it be ground covers that you're using between the rows or trellis styles or thoughts on you know when to pick and you know what what to do with the crop load uh, thinning all these different things and us being relatively new to the business I'm I'm trying to be a sponge for information and take what I can get from anybody and, and uh, but I think really it gets back to the just the meeting new people and developing new friendships mm -hmm. and, and feeling like you're you belong and that you're partnering with, with some pretty good people and some pretty smart people in this business. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> like I say, not being here that long, I'm still learning myself. And definitely, I think he, one thing I will say is um, you have people that are really good vineyard managers and then people over here that are really good winemakers and they're in the, they're in the wine in the winery all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, there's not a lot of people that, that are both, that are all, all that in between. And, and there's some people that are pretty close to it, but there's, you know, it's kind of like everybody has their spot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think there's good communication, there has to be between vineyard operators and, and winery operators. Uh, it takes both to make, make things work. But I think definitely everybody finds their, their niche. Uh, I'd say my niche is in the vineyard, hmm. even though I'm, I'm new at these grapes, but somehow they, it's, it's not that hard to learn. I think that's easier than if I was trying to learn how to dive into the, you know, the fine tuning of making wine. Uh, I like to say I'm, I'm the official taster and I know what I like and what I taste and I'm, I'm learning more from that, from the winemakers of, of the little tricks and trades of, you know, of the trade that they do to you know, to get you what you want. Hmm. It's been really, really interesting. That's, you never stop learning. Um, you talk about kind of developing these friendships in the, in the area. Tell me a little bit about how the South Wyoming Valley feels about its role in the industry. How, how does the, this, the Eugene area fit into the overall Oregon wine industry? If you have, a, if you have an answer for that. I, I'll go first on that. I think uh, my observation since I've been doing this is that uh, 
I kind of get the feeling we're all down here waving our flag going, hey, you know, we're down here. We're at the bottom of the valley. Yeah, we know that. We're 100 miles from the rest of the, you know, the, the, the well-known wineries up north that are, that are doing a great job that really basically pioneered and started the industry. And uh, we feel like we're, we're in the South Valley waving our flag to, to get the attention of uh, not just the people drinking wine or wanting to explore wine, but it's the other members in our industry that are that are neighbors to the north mm -hmm. uh, and up the valley. I think we sometimes, uh, I think we get overlooked a little bit sometimes, mm -hmm. and maybe we're not around the biggest population area and everything. But I think uh, we definitely have something to uh, to write home about. <laughs> a lot of great wines down in this area. I mean, the largest winery in the state is. is down here in this end of the valley, and uh, and then you take it from here and, and even go down to Umpqua and the Rogue. There's they're really doing some fine things down there, incredible varieties and a lot of new uh, production going in. That's really going to be good for the Oregon wine industry. So we we feel like we have to scream and kick and yell and wave our flag to get attention sometimes, but we're gaining. Yeah, we're gaining. I think that comes from a lot of that camaraderie that we bond together, and and uh, you know, we're all good uh, ambassadors for the South Valley. <laughs> all, all the wine club members down here in this area, and, and as, as we build on those wine club members, though that that's just more messengers out there getting the word out. <laughs> and uh, in my travels uh, for the seed business that I do, I'm, I'm always out there promoting the Oregon wine industry, not just Hayworth wines, but the whole industry. <laughs> to people from other states that maybe they drink wine, maybe they don't, or maybe they want to learn more about it. It's like, well, okay, let's, let me, let's try this. Have you tried some Pinot Noir? Pinot what? <laughs> <laughs> and you just open up new, with new ways of thinking. Mm -hmm. Have you seen the kind of uh, awareness, understanding of Oregon wine grow as you've, as you've sort of been an ambassador on the road? Have you seen in the last decade more people who know what Pinot Noir is, more people who know where Oregon is? For sure, without a doubt. Um, for every person that's maybe not heard of it, there's probably three that have, mm -hmm. you know, out there in the country and everywhere. Um, it is really known. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they, they don't often pinpoint, or they don't remember, they don't know exactly where they, where, which Pinot Noir, or what part of the valley it even came from. They mm -hmm. just know it as Oregon Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. And it's on the map, and it's, and it's 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 well loved. And I think in all my travels, if I go to places and and strike up a conversation, whether it be in an airport or at a wine bar or at a restaurant or wherever, people just know Oregon for number one Pinot Noir. But then it's getting a lot of the other varieties are getting you know known known for Chardonnay and Pinot Gris, uh, and then some of the bigger reds that are coming out of mm -hmm. Southern Oregon. Um, they're really getting on the map and on the radar screen with a lot of people and it's just that constant word of mouth mm -hmm. and the tourism organizations that are out there promoting mm -hmm. the entire state and the entire wine industry and I think you know then you have the pockets of, of the areas that are promoting their area you know be it North Valley, South Valley, Umpqua, Rogue mm -hmm. um, everybody's doing a pretty good job I think. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. So what do you see as you look ahead for your future here at Hayworth? What are you planning, say, over the next five, ten years? Uh, what are you hoping for? Retirement. <laughs> <laughs> when I get to sit down and enjoy it. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to have to start working this hard. As no, as we didn't, didn't we? Yeah. But we love it. We do. We love it, don't we? We love it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we wouldn't be doing it if, if we didn't. Yeah. Like I said, it, it all started with a passion for it, and it just grows. I think, obviously, with our commitment and investment and in, in expansion of the, the vineyards and our wine brands, you, you sort of develop something that you you got to keep it going. Mm -hmm. Like I said, every year is a new vintage, and, and uh, what are you going to do with it? And I, I think, you know, I think we... We have to be uh, att attention given to more of the marketing side of things, and you know, keeping keeping the fire lit, mm -hmm. introducing more people to wine. Uh, like I said, our wine club membership—I would say ninety percent of them are new to wine, mm -hmm. relatively. Mm -hmm. But I think looking ahead in the future, probably a little more vineyard expansion. <laughs> 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 you know, there's some things we want to try that, that we think we're confident will be good choices to make. Mm -hmm. 20 acres max. 20 acres max. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. The line's been drawn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's one of those deals where whether you have one acre or 20 acres, you're going to occupy your time. Mm -hmm. You can occupy 100% of your time mm -hmm. doing something. Mm -hmm. So just... The more acres you have, you, you have to utilize more with you know, obtaining labor and, and help and assistance and, mm -hmm. and investment more with the hardware that is required to build a vineyard. My gosh, there's a lot of wire and steel and posts and all this stuff. And, you know, and then, like I said, we had to get another gator just to keep up with <laughs> two directions that she and I were going. And um, tractors and things like that. It's mm -hmm. just... Uh, you know, hopefully you just think one day, well, we're going to have everything we need. <laughs> we're not going to have to keep buying that kind of thing. <laughs> so it's kind of like, you know, pump the brakes a little bit on that and let's concentrate more of our efforts and our resources towards, uh, you know, the wine line. And just <laughs> finding that right balance of how we're going to operate the vineyards and how we're going to operate the wine brand. Anything to add to that? No, I think it's said it all. <laughs> Do you have any ideas for or any plans for kind of expanded events, expanded in terms of bringing people here? Do you have some sort of plans for that or is it just kind of kind of keep happening organically? Well, I think so. Well, yeah. we're, we're trying to be exclusive private events here. Mm -hmm. um, that seems to be what our property here is, is designed for. Mm -hmm. um, and that seems to be what the people want. They want something different. They come out here and, and uh, they kind of fall in love with it. Even though we think, oh, the place, you know, we got to clean it. And there's straw blowing around. They don't you know, care. every place else I go, there probably isn't that. <laughs> it's like, so maybe we'll just kind of keep it like it is. <laughs> For whatever reason, they like it. So I think we'll just kind of keep that as our, our brand and, you know, keep adding to a few little things we are um, in, the, in the process of building a wine bar mm -hmm. in downtown Coburg mm -hmm. which should be open this fall we're really excited about that and I think that's 
judging by the, the public information that we're getting from from everybody out there that they can't wait. Mm -hmm. They can't wait. They're really excited. So there's a lot of energy and push behind that to get that open. Mm -hmm. Are you planning on using that as for your wines exclusively or are you planning on bringing in wines? As well? Yeah, it's our wines exclusively. Um, and then, like Russ said, we'll just use this as private events, large mm -hmm. private events, wine club member events. I think with the wine bar, there'll be opportunities where we where we have a, uh, an occasion now and then where we bring in a, a guest winery mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. do a guest pouring because um, uh, we've, we've been invited different places where we've done that at other wineries and it's it's really good and I think that that goes back to saying you know we're all in this together we're not competing and you know what there are some really good wines out there it's, even though we're, we love ours we love other people's too and, and we just have a lot of good friends in the business that we look forward to mm -hmm. doing things like that with mm -hmm. and having them as a, as a guest winery and uh, there's just really there's not that competition there at all. Yeah. You know, we're all gonna we're all gonna do well with it. Mm -hmm. What do you see as you look ahead for the Oregon industry in general? What do you see as like for the next say ten years of Oregon wine? Are there are there what do you what do you see down the road? Oh wow. Or what do you hope? Well, I calculated growth mm -hmm. is is what I hope for. I don't think we're going to see. Uh, I don't think we're going to see aggressive growth like like we've seen with some other crops here in the valley or around Oregon, um, or as I call it, the the fad crops that are out there that have already come and gone. Some of them. Uh, we're not going to invest in anything else outside the box. We, we already are outside the box with what we're doing here with the vineyard. But I think the industry. Uh, is doing a really good job of self-policing uh, any issues that come up anywhere in this industry. I think you want to see a, uh, an industry come together, just have something come up that's a problem, and man, everybody's on it. Mm -hmm. It's not about whether it's happening up north or whether it's happening down south, and there's been things that have been recent, and man, you, you get the mama bears in the wine industry, <laughs> you better look out. Because we're all going to look out for each other. Yeah. So I think that's, that, that's the, I think everybody's being careful. And, yeah. and it's an industry that pulls together and uh, keeps things in check pretty well. We don't want to lose out to other states. and We don't want to get taken advantage of. And, <laughs> you know, we're, hardworking, you know, there's the pioneers in this Oregon wine industry, a lot of them are still, are still working. Mm -hmm. And we lost a few, but um, those of us that are still in it and still here and the pioneers that I refer to that are still around doing it, you know, they all learn from that group that started this thing. It's mm -hmm. just like we're a bigger group now, but we're all still learning from each other. Mm -hmm. So I think that will continue to evolve. The Oregon Wine Board and the Oregon Wine Growers Association do a fabulous job of of running and promoting and, and managing this industry and being there for the membership yeah. when we have questions and when issues do pop up they are right on top of it it yeah. uh, doesn't matter who you are how big you are how little you are you, know, 
you know, your membership dues are met. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, the final question I have for you, this is a, one we always like to ask when we have a couple that we're interviewing together. Uh, what's the secret to a successful marriage in the wine industry? <laughs> Drinking a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing when to stop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, it's like any you always hear it's give and take it's hard Compromise. sometimes especially when you're together 24 7. that's why you have separate gators right yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah I think it's, uh, it's a lot of give and take it's uh i basically i basically yield the keely it's mm -hmm. this is really i mean She's got way more experience in all aspects of it, from the vineyard to the bottle than than I do. Um, I learned from her, really. So it's not well. We learn from each other, you know, and we're still learning. Yeah. We, you know, it's it's just uh, two sets of eyes on everything instead of one, and you know, what we we catch we catch things that maybe the other one doesn't see or or, or know about and. You know, it's constantly on your mind what, what to do in the vineyard, what to do in, in the wine side of things. Uh, we all have, we both come up with great ideas. We don't always do them all, but we all, we both think of great ideas uh, of what we're going to do down the road in mm -hmm. the future. You know, different marketing ideas or different production ideas. or uh, And as we travel and talk to more people in this industry and do the networking, you know, you never, that wheel never stops turning. You keep coming up and evolving. So it's kind of like the marriage. You you grow and evolve like the vineyard. Mm -hmm. Like it. Nice. Yeah. Is there anything? Okay. Well, that's all the questions that I have for you. Uh, is there anything I should have asked that I didn't? Anything we didn't cover that we should have covered here? Yeah, I don't think so. Well, I'll say this about, because we're unconventional you know, growing here on the valley floor, the mm -hmm. first to really do it mm -hmm. on this scale. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and the naysayers that are, that we can look 360 pretty much and, you know, we can see all our, know where our neighbors are in the hills. Uh, and everybody thinks, well, vineyard's gotta be in the mountains. Mm -hmm. Well, we're proving that theory wrong. Not mm -hmm. that it's anything, you know, we love our vineyards in the mountains and our neighbors, but we have uh, challenges and, and advantages that they don't have. Mm -hmm. um, we probably got better soil than most of them. That can be a great thing and it can be too good for the grapes. Mm -hmm. So that's that balance you have to do in the management of the vines. The other thing we get is we get good airflow here. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So we don't have, you know, we're not tucked in a mountain or in a canyon or behind trees or forests or, you know, that are trapping air, you know, both hot and cold. Mm -hmm. We're in the open floor where we get that airflow, which is an advantage, huge advantage, for uh, to keep us from having disease pressure. Mm -hmm. So you get good airflow through those clusters of, of grapes. So that's an advantage to us. All of our vineyards are planted, uh, well, with the exception of the, my hobby vineyard, on 10 foot wide spacing of rows. Mm -hmm. So with no mountains or trees around us, we get you know we get that sunlight at 6:30 in the morning, and we don't lose it until sunset, mm -hmm. and we get it longer daylight sunlight hours than any vineyard around mm -hmm. even probably up north because mm -hmm. we are down here where we're taking it all and that 10-foot row allows for a lot 
of time for that sun before that next row shades out the other row. Mm -hmm. So we, we really have some things going for us where I think it'll help us with disease pressure, ripening, mm -hmm. we'll get good sunlight that warms the soil and you get reflective heat off that soil that helps, you know, add to your grapes. Um, we do, a, a risk we do encounter occasionally is we would be a little more susceptible to a late spring frost, mm -hmm. which this year we actually got nipped a in a few little cold pockets in our vineyard that kind of got dinged a little bit. But, mm. you know, it's farming. <laughs> yeah, it's not one thing, it's two. Mm -hmm. It could be something else. And, you know, we may have other challenges. Uh, but really, I think we have more, more advantages than most. And uh, we, don't, uh, we don't water. We did set up on drip irrigation because we needed that to keep the plants going in that first year or two. Mm -hmm. Since then, we've pretty much abandoned it because our good soil and the rains we get has, provi has provided a really good root structure for the grapes where they've been able to go down and not hit mm -hmm. anything. Mm -hmm. You know, unpenetratable, they've been able to go down to where they need to be to be happy. Mm -hmm. And so we haven't watered at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, probably won't, you no. know. So, you know, there again, it's just the it's just knowing how to work with the land, you know, and if we were in the mountains, we'd be doing things differently, you know, to facilitate location. With, with the advantages you have down here in terms of more sunlight hours, better soil, uh, do you have any thoughts on trying some different varietals? Do you have any thoughts on trying some hotter ones? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's, what's next? Yeah. yeah, we really do. And, and to back up on that, our climate's different than it used to be. I mean, there is this warming I don't know, I don't want to use the word global, but I will say there's a warming that this area has experienced in the last 20, 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. uh, growing up here as a kid, I mean, I remember, you know, Rich, <laughs> you could almost set your calendar that Labor Day or September was the beginning of rainy season. Mm -hmm. And now it's two months later, it's the beginning of November, if that. Mm -hmm. You know, so we typically have had the luxury of some long, dry fall, winter, or fall, before going into winter, uh, and we don't harvest till probably beginning of mid-October. Um, but anyway, I think given the fact that we're warmer than we used to be, we're on this unique location, uh, yeah, there's some thoughts into, uh, we have some we have some land kind of marked off that trying to figure out what we're going to plant. It's probably going to be something a little bit different than mm -hmm. Nobody would expect. It. <laughs> well, we'll have to wait in anticipation. Tune in. <laughs> Tune in ahead. Excellent. Well, yeah. well, thank you both so much for your thoughts today, for your sharing your story with us. Uh, thank you. Enjoy. Yeah. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And we'll go ahead and uh, let you off with that. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast, and thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.